You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Broncos Audio Zone. I'm Phil Milani, joined as always by Eric Dalala. We are back with another episode of Broncos Country Throwback. Today, Ring of Famer Simon Fletcher joined Jim Sakamano. Yeah, Phil, excited to hear from Simon Fletcher. Obviously, ranked second in franchise history in quarterback sacks. And um, I think people are going to enjoy Jim's conversation. Some good stories, not just about football, Phil, but about life and uh, how Simon Fletcher grew up. So with that, let's get to Jim Sakamoto's conversation with Simon Fletcher. We're honored today to be talking to Simon Fletcher, Denver Broncos Ring of Famer on Broncos Country Throwback. Simon, you were a great player, but there are a couple of things in particular that have always, always fascinated me about you. Uh, One of which is, in in order, um, the second, which we'll get to, is that you act like you're not a player. And I say that as a compliment, and we'll get to that. And I don't mean that as an insult to anybody else. But but the first thing is, you had an unusual route to being a football player. You know, you were not somebody who, from the age of six years old, said you were going to play in the NFL. You want to uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about your story in that regard, Simon? Well, I had an older brother, Robert, who was the first person to start on our uh, varsity football team in South Texas all four years. And he was totally dedicated, but I'd see him come home with teeth knocked out and the constant rigorous workouts in 100 degrees. So I wanted nothing to do with football. Um, He he got a scholarship to uh, Texas A&I where he made All-American as a freshman. And for whatever reason, he got married, joined the military, and left after that year. And uh, it saddened my mother, so I came in from work the summer bef- the summer after, and I asked her if I would if she would allow me to play football my senior year, and if she would, I promised her that I'd earn a scholarship and play ten years in the NFL. And uh, she says, "Well, boy, you're so skinny, they'll break you in two. And compared to my older brother, I was he had muscles in his toes, his ears, just everywhere, <laughs> and I was the antithesis. But I had worked. Uh, doing construction and started a lawn service since my parents had split up a few years earlier, about uh, eight years earlier, and um, to help the family. So I had I had muscle and I had strength. It just didn't look. It was deceptively uh, strong, a deceptive strength that I had. So I went out for the two a days. Um, I had to run 25 miles because I hadn't participated, and the coaches wanted to make sure I was in football shape. Uh, third string going into the season, and I think game three, the starter went down. Uh, my coach, Marshall Brown, skipped over the second stringer and put me in, and I managed to collect five quarterback sacks that night, and we went on to the state championship at the Houston Astrodome at the end of that year. So I was I was very unlikely to have lived the life that I've had and uh, played uh, Division One college, let alone 11 years in the NFL. You know, you said that, and I know every word is true, but when you really pause and think of it, of what you said, you know, that you didn't play until you were a senior, you were third string, you made a promise to your mother that, quite frankly, seems ludicrous, and and you you fulfilled all of this stuff. And 
And but that's how you did it from the Broncos. You just worked every single day. There was never an issue, never a situation. Um, well, actually, I had one little situation. Remember the time you picked up Steve Kalk, a, a sports writer for the Rocky Mountain News, and kind of gave kind of gave him a little fling into a bush. Yes, I do. I recall it vividly. Yeah, he had he had asked a question that, in my opinion, was a snide, nasty question, really personal and snide. And I know you remember that. But but the funny thing is, when I got back to my desk, I had a phone message from your agent. Huh. So I returned it, and I thought perhaps it had something to do with that. And it just happened. And he said, uh, you know. You know, hey, no, he had knew nothing about it, but he said, I'd like to talk about getting Simon a little more publicity. And I said, well, gee, that, that'd be wonderful. However, about 15 minutes ago, this happened. So I'm not sure this was a moment for <laughs> Yeah, we, we needed Steve Cobb to, to make that happen. <laughs> yes, we did. Now, Simon, uh, you know, you, you had a great career with the Broncos. And in records are meant to be made to be broken. You are our all-time sack leader. That was, of course, pre Von Miller. Now yeah. it's it's not going to be broken very much. But but again, records are made to be broken, and eventually uh, we move on. Um, what are what are some of your great? Even though I know you're not a guy who focuses on I did this, I did that, I did this. <laughs> but what are some of your favorite moments that you experienced with the Broncos? Well, uh, one of my favorite moments is uh, early in my career, I had read in a newspaper clip where uh, people were poking at Mr. Bolin for wearing his uh, famous, now infamous, fur coat on the sidelines when we had cold weather. And so Pat came out, and he was standing near me in practice. I said, man, what do you make of all this fuss about a guy's coat? And he, what he said to me really influences my life, even to this day. He simply said, I don't care. And what that said to me was that you'll find things negative about yourself in the press, and you know you're not that bad. But uh, on the flip side of that coin, you'll, you'll see a lot of praise, and you have to realize you're not that good. Don't care because people who are not affiliated with what you're doing – they may help you to uh, foster your career, but their opinions are secondhand. They're not on the field. They don't understand everything about the situation. So I use Mr. B's I don't care in many situations, or I change it to what for. Uh, when I'm getting ready to do a business, I don't care in terms of what for. That means why do I need this in my life? What will it take away from me as far as time and leisure and family? Uh, compared to what it can add to my life. So in, in many situations, I just look at it and I say, hmm, there's another fur coat situation because I sure don't care. <laughs> well, and you know, you're right. Uh, I had a situation once where somebody criticized, somebody within the Broncos criticized how I was handling the media. I thought I was oftentimes a PR guy gets criticized for being too friendly with them. But really what he's just doing is his job and, and working with them. Anyway, I said – no offense, I said, but you don't know what I'm doing, but I don't care what you say. I'm doing right. what I need to do, and you can say anything you want to say to me or behind my back. You can use any curse word or anything you want. No problem. If that makes you feel good, I don't care. And I found <laughs> that very empowering, uh, Simon. Yeah, very and, empowering. Listen, 
and liberating because you're done with the situation. Yeah, I'm done with it because I've, I've given him permission. I've said, you call me anything. That's fine. No problem. I'm not going to be screaming at you. That's great. And it, mm-hmm. it absolutely liberates you from the situation. And uh, uh, you, the, getting to the second part of what I wanted to mention to you, Simon, you were a great player. However, you never acted like you were a player. You did everything you were supposed to do in terms of lifting and uh, meetings and practice and, and everything and playing hard and being being part of really some great teams. But uh, it always seemed like you had something while you were just very balanced. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about, about that philosophy and how it's guided you since you retired. Because some guys, when they retire, they really crave the public eye. And if we didn't dig you up, Simon, and find you... <laughs> Uh, seriously, I'm not sure I'd ever see you in the public eye. But so the fans would like to know what you've done and what you're doing. Um, well, first let me let me uh, inform everyone uh, what helped to foster me. Number one, I grew up within 20 miles of both sets of <clears throat> both sets of grandparents, and they were very humble people. And so when when you when you hang around that attitude. And you recognize that most of the things we do in life are not because of our own individual effort. There are people associated with us without whom we wouldn't have a chance at at accomplishing very many things that uh, hopefully we would over the course of a lifetime. And secondly, I knew coming in that your NFL career could end abruptly with with an injury in any practice or game, or you could uh, out outlive your usefulness to the organization and the direction it decides to go in. And so from day one, having my little girl with me and being her only parent, I decided that I would plan from day one, i.e. Ashley and I shared a one-bedroom apartment until I had purchased four rental homes, fixed them up myself at nights and during the off-season so that once we got a house, she would never have to move. And uh, having her there grounded me because uh, guys want to go out and hang out on, on a Monday night after the, watching the game film. Well, I'd rather go home and hang out with my little girl and we'll cook a meal and sit and read and have a good time. So a lot of it's me, uh, but a, I think a bigger part is having that responsibility there so that once we did uh, buy a house, we bought a modest house that I knew I could afford if I was flipping burgers at Mickey D's and then part-time in his subway. And uh, so that philosophy got ingrained in me that every time I get a check, I've got to invest some for this little girl's future because I saw her someday attaining a master's degree, and it costs money. So there are things that maybe I would have wanted to do. I don't know. I think I'm a natural-born conservative, but – Football to me was a great opportunity, and it was a wonderful time during meetings, practice, and during games, especially the games. But when it was over, I still got to be Simon Fletcher. I've now mm-hmm. been retired. I've now been retired more than twice as long as I played, and so the 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 values, the work ethic, have been priceless to me uh, since uh, January '96 when I took off my cleats for the last time. What a what a great philosophy of uh, Fisher DeBerry, the long retired head football coach at uh, 
the Air Force Academy used to say many times in speaking engagements that if you're walking down a country road and you see a turtle sitting on top of a, of a fence post, you have mm-hmm. to remind yourself that that turtle did not get there by himself. The turtle did not get to the top of the fence post by himself. And a lot of times we all say, boy, look at me. Boy, I've done something. But if we really take a moment to reflect, somebody else helped us, told us something, said something to us, set an example that, that was there for us to follow. Well, that, that was my emphasis during my Ring of Fame induction with all the uh, interviews. I said, uh, you know, uh, I'm taking it with a grain of salt. I, I appreciate it. I'm glad it's happening. But I also am reflecting, and I say if there wasn't a Paul Smith or a Barney Chavis or a Lyle Alzado or a Roland Jones or a Carl Mecklenburg, 97.5 would just be a radio station. I said, so, <laughs> I said, so for me, uh, when you talk about a sack, you're talking about hundreds of guys over the course of 11 years who helped to make it possible. I, yeah, I, I landed on a quarterback, but somebody was covering the tight end uh, in the shallow route. Somebody was covering the deep receivers, and somebody was containing the quarterback from the opposing side. So every play, it took 11 guys, and it took a coaching staff making the proper calls for the situation so that you could make it happen. So, yeah, Simon got the credit for it, number 73, but there are a whole lot of numbers and some guys without numbers without whom it would have never happened. I'll tell you, Simon, uh, in, in times that we always have we always have improvements to make as a society, and in times when there's a whole bunch of stuff being worked on, the stuff that you say is a, is a message that ought to resonate with any person who breathes air, really. Well, um, I, I, I certainly hope so. Simon, um, now I am fascinated by what you've done in the business, in the food service uh, industry, here in the state of Colorado, which is, I think, interesting because you're from Texas. You certainly could have moved back to Texas. Why did you stay here? And you've been here all this time. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and what you've done. Some really creative, intelligent things in food service. Well, uh, when the team first flew me in, uh, DIA didn't exist. We had uh, Stapleton Airport just just east of the Park Hill residential neighborhood. And as that plane was coming in for the landing, uh, I could see the western sky and the and the mountainscape. And I looked at my little girl, almost two years old, and I said, honey, I think we're home. I had never seen anything so breathtaking in person in my life. And so when I compare this to 100 plus degree temperatures and 99% humidity and tropical storms to hurricanes. Um, I told my children when they were starting to go off to college, we'd have a one-on-one as each one left for college. I say, just remember this: when I'm when when, I, when it's time for me to end my life, don't bury me in Texas. I'd like to stay here. So oh God. That's great, Simon. Now, tell me about what you've done in the restaurant world. Uh, well, I started when I was playing, as you were aware, with a restaurant called The Dog House that I bought uh, cheap when I was eating a chili dog and a 
ice cream cone that later uh, expanded into eight restaurants throughout the metro area, out to Arvada and Loveland. And then I got into construction. After some of those, I decided not to renew the lease. Others I sold off. And uh, got in construction. And in 2008, when the market crashed, I kept my guys and paid them until the uh, until they found other employment to take care of their families. And after that, I decided I was going to do what I love. Uh, by then, all but two of my children were in college. So I figured I don't need the big money, but I need to enjoy my life daily. And so I started a barbecue restaurant in Greeley, and that building ended up having some structural issues when we wanted to expand. It's now still condemned since 13. Went out to Fort Morgan and... We had the uh, second highest purchase orders from Cisco Foods in Morgan County, Logan County, but I couldn't get employees to come to work. So I decided I would go mobile. I had a Why was that, Simon? <laughs> well, um, I think it's just uh, the attitude, and I, I think a lot of it, too, has to be parenting. Kids are so accustomed to everything being handed to them that they, they, they show up as young adults who don't desire to go to college. They have no particular skill, and so they land in the restaurant business. But their their attitude seems to be, I'm only here uh, hanging out until payday. And mm-hmm. so after I had dropped 30 or 40 pounds and needed to buy some smaller britches, I decided I better let this go and find another deal. So I started mobile and presently I'm building a food truck park in Platteville. I got a lease purchase on a property off highway 85. And when it's done, it'll have space for four or five food trucks. And if I have five other guys and I'll have a day off and I'll work inside. But, uh, I think with the COVID virus, uh, people's fears are going to make food trucks most viable for the next three to five years. And after that, if I need to adjust, I'll figure it out and move forward. But uh, I'm excited about a little town in Platteville with all the traffic up and down Highway 85 from Cheyenne, Wyoming, clear down to Denver, uh, to be able to provide different types of food, different ethnic foods, different uh, regional foods in a small town and the passersby. So that's got me psyched. I've been getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I just left there an hour ago. And I just sit there and I dream as the plan starts to take take oh, hold. And... I, I think that's fantastic. You know, another element that I think is just great. It's just great. You are a black man. And that area of Colorado is about as white as it's going to be. Uh, all, and I realize there may be some Hispanic population. But I think that there's about 10,000 ways you can talk about it, all positive of what a person is doing in a, in a part of the world. You, you know what I mean? Um, uh, it's just, it's just great. I saw a sign once that said, if somebody wants to make good somewhere, well, why not make good right here, right yeah. now? Because mm-hmm. this is the place and this is the time. Well, I, I hear from friends back in Texas from pre-high school, high school and college. Man, what are you doing out there? Ain't no, there's no black people out here. Yeah, I say, well, yeah. hey, well, why don't you come and visit? You'll love it. But what I find, uh, regardless of uh, their uh, skin color or mm-hmm. what, what, we, what we call their race on, on uh, documents, I think uh, good people are good people. And what better way? 
to uh, introduce people to a black man that that's the antithesis of what you see on television, in the movies, and on hip-hop and rap videos. See somebody who gets up, goes to work every day, who will never say no to going to a school and encouraging children. Right. And uh, will, will lend a helping hand if he sees one's needed. So I think a lot of uh, the racial problems in this country are here based on lack of familiarity. Well, when I... Oh, I agree. Every- and- you know, nothing, everybody's got to eat. And yeah. food is a great equalizer, isn't it? It's a great equalizer. It is, and I'm quite a cook there, Socko. <laughs> yeah, I know you are. In fact, in fact, for the TV show, when I interviewed you for the TV show a couple of years ago, uh, and they just never got around to it because it involves a TV crew, but what they said was, we got to go down to Simon's restaurant and watch him at work sometime for a part of a feature. And I said, well, that's a great idea. I'm willing. I know Simon's willing. But, you know, those yeah. guys are busy, and they got a lot of events to cover, and they got cameras to pack, and it just yeah. didn't work out. But one of these days, we're going to pop in on you, Simon. In fact, I know the guys from the Broncos are listening. You would be a prime person to put on uh, all these Bronco videos that we have on the website. They're always looking for content. And, boy, uh, you can give them about as much content as is imaginable, Simon. Yeah, it sounds like it could be fun. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I'm going to point out, I still think you ought to charge them full price for the meals that you serve them. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, do, <laughs> I, do, I do so when applicable, and when I can afford not to, I do it. And there, there are people, even though we may never have met or met only a couple times, uh, when, when you're associated with the Broncos or with the media that helped to take us, uh, even though we were in a small market to a team that loves uh, country and worldwide, I think we, I, I know I do, I feel a, a little bit of sense of gratitude. And so when, when I when I do a discount, all I'm saying is thank you for what you do. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, um, helps, it helps me and it helps guys who do what I did. And, you know, Simon, I'm no expert in, in your field, of course, but it, but I think we've hit on this before, that when you talk about a food truck, I think we live in a society where people want, certainly they want good food at a good price, but they're also in a hurry, and they want to kind of eat fast. They're they're not as interested, no offense to anybody who owns something else, but they're not too interested in sitting down for a two-hour and five-minute dinner somewhere unless it's a really special occasion. So, right. They, boy, when they see a place like yours, and as you've said, you know, you've got to prove it to them by taste and so forth, but they're very interested in that. Absolutely. And and I also think that the food trucks who join me there in Platteville, they will get added benefit because in, how long have I been here? 35 years? I've made a lot of friends everywhere I've landed or visited. And so once I open up and we get our web page set up, they will have customers come in looking for me, but they'll be right there in case somebody in the party wants to choose another entree, something I don't offer. Well, and you know, you mentioned that in 35 years, you've made quite a few friends. I would counter that says, I cannot imagine that you've run into very many guys who have said, I just don't like that Simon Fletcher. That is unimaginable to me. I know it's possible, but it's unimaginable to me. And, well, there have, uh, been a, there have been a few who have tried to say it after our first encounter, but interestingly, we end up uh, meeting again and again, and then you have to consider one another friends. 
And that's the way it is. Some people aren't used to dealing with honesty. And if you ask me a question or make a statement, you get honesty from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes that isn't what they want to hear. And we do know that. But Simon, I am honored to be able to talk to you and to be able to call you a friend. Just delighted. I wish you every success. And, uh, And I thank you for doing this podcast with us. Jim, I thank you. I've always considered you a friend, and if you ever need me in the future, don't call to ask whether I can do it. Just tell me the time and place, and I'll be there, buddy. You know, that is a, that's a great comment. I had another player once, uh, Lyle Alzado, who was a very misunderstood guy, and, and yeah. maybe he was a little bit bipolar. I mean, he, I don't, I'm no judge, but because on the field he was crazed. But once upon a time, I used to put notes in his locker. Can you go see this sick child, et cetera? And one time he, he told me, Jim, Jim, please don't ever ask me again if I'll go see a sick kid. I mm. thought that meant that he was done. But he said, yeah. just put his name and address in my locker. Oh, wow. And that's that period. And Lyle, I mean, when I say he went to see everybody, if I put in a locker, it was done. And he went. And uh, that my friend, is also Simon Fletcher. Wow. Okay, I don't have Kleenex. Stop it. (laughs) Okay, Simon, thank you so much for doing this. Happy trails, and uh, we'll be talking in the future, okay? Okay, take care. Take care now, Simon. Bye-bye. That was Jim Sakamano's conversation with Ring of Famer Simon Fletcher. Phil, I really liked that line that without all the guys around him, 97.5 would just be a radio station. Yeah, uh, such a humble guy, uh, never wants to take all the credit. And I think anybody who's ever been around Simon Fletcher knows how interesting he is. He'll never just give you a generic comment. He always has something funny to say and uh, really interesting to see what he's done after his football career. And, of course, uh, we've seen him be around the Broncos teams the past couple of years, especially with Von Miller breaking his franchise sack record. Uh, If you enjoy conversations just like this, make sure you subscribe to Broncos Country Throwback. You can find this podcast wherever you download all your favorite podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, for Jim Sakamano and Eric Dalala, I'm Phil Malone. (laughs) 